to my friends at West Tonka, at Bush Lake. For all of you who are online and here in Chanhassen, I'm so glad that we're together today and we're gonna be learners today, we'll be touched today, we're gonna to gain God's wisdom today, we'll do that together. So welcome to all of you that are joining us. Um, we're continuing this series called Longing for Better Days. It's a mental health series. We've defined mental health as that heightened sense of concern, a diminished sense of control, and the greater concern that you have and the less control that you feel, you have a gap, and that gap gets wider. And we hope through this series that you will gain new understanding, but also life-transforming truths that will close that gap and give you confidence and hope for your personal lives, your family lives, for the journey that is before you in the present and even into the future. And we need this hope as we've been into this series and um, we, we're paying attention to the fact that a church needs to be a healing presence, not silent on the subject, but really vocal to say there's help and hope here. You're welcome here to that end. And we've wanted to clarify that mental health, which has been kind of a secret issue in the church, a silent issue in the church, is partly because we elevate the most serious illnesses where you really need a lot of medical and attention to come alongside as being what mental health is. But the reality is that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when all of us deal with emotional well-being challenges, mental health challenges in our personal lives and journey. And yes, we need to provide for the whole continuum, including the most serious, as we witnessed in Lewiston this past week in Maine, which has been a humbling week, wouldn't you say? It was a very personal week for us because our son, Esten, married Kate, who is from Lewiston. And they were married in Lewiston. And after the rehearsal dinner, we went to that very bowling alley to bowl where that tragedy took place. So we've been walking alongside the Bockler family because they're part of our family. And her father is a pastor as well. And I've been in touch with him this week. Can I just tell you what you don't get on the headlines is the church is alive and providing help and hope in that community. And we want to pray for Lewiston too. Let's, in your hearts and your minds this week, do you talk about emotional well-being? Those challenges of heightened concern, diminished control, they're right in the thick of it in the most serious kind of way. We want to be that kind of church. We join our friends. I know some of them are joining us, and uh, we're one with you together even in Lewiston this week. Well, um, this message today, the parent equation, got inserted in a series that had been outlined long before, but after a meeting with a group of eight people in June with our team, um, educators and therapists, we wanted to hear from them in a table dialogue, what do you see every day? What do we need to pay attention to as we prepare this series? They were so helpful. Top of the list was parenting. That was not yet part of our series, so we inserted it, the parenting equation, because it's so important. That is, the feedback loop between a parent and a child, or grandparent and a grandchild, that feedback loop is really important in helping them regulate and manage their emotional well-being. We want to learn how do we do that better. And we thought, let's bring a subject matter expert to come and speak to this given um, arena. And I'm so grateful that Dr. Tim Johansson is with us. One, he's been part of our church family for 20 years, he and Susan. Um, part of uh, the membership in our own community of faith. Uh, he himself is a pediatrician as in his career. He's an author, wrote the book called Just, and this idea of the essence of raising life-ready kids. What a great title. That book's available. I'll share more about that later. He's working on a second book right now, Parenting Adult Children. Tim, I'm just going to say, after the last two services, I've had a lot of people coming about that subject, so finish the book. 
get her done, get her done. We need it. And then um, he's a spokesperson. He lectures around the country on this given subject, bringing in both clinical and medical expertise, but also in our setting, a man of faith grounded in the word of God, which you'll hear in just a few moments. He was an adjunct faculty member at the University of Minnesota in the Department of Medicine and Pediatrics, and then left us in 2016 to go to um, Arizona College, where he uh, participated in their College of Medicine and Pediatrics as the professor of pediatricians, and that's where he's been most recently. And we're just so grateful that he comes back to Minnesota on this lovely day. <laughs> Would you join me in giving a warm welcome to Dr. Tim Johansson? Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Well, thank you, Joel. It's great to be here back at Westwood for my wife and I, a wonderful place that we raised our kids. And thank you for allowing me to participate in this series. Um, I'm deeply honored to be here. Well, for everybody, uh, today I want to go on a trip with you. We're going to fly into the realms of childhood mental illness and parenting. In a few moments, the cabin doors are going to close and we'll fasten our seatbelts and we'll push away from the terminal. So what's our itinerary? As our plane lifts off, we'll start by reviewing some of the reasons we see an epidemic of childhood mental illness in the US. Once at cruising altitude, we'll take a 30,000-foot view of the current state of affairs and consider what effects the COVID pandemic had on childhood mental illness. We'll glide through the signs and symptoms of anxiety and depression in children and teens and spend some time on the important role that kindness plays in our mental health. In our final descent, we'll cover a top 10 list of parenting do's. These are practical things for parents to do to promote healing and restoration in our children as we prepare them for the real world. And finally, we'll land where we start this morning on Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before embarking on this flight, I'd like to share a little bit about my story. You see, I embraced Romans 15:13 as my life verse after meeting for several years with a wonderful man and a mentor named Daryl. At a time in our parenting journey that pre presented some really difficult challenges, that season brought Susan and me to our knees, completely surrendering our children to God and trusting that he would pursue them and keep them safe. There have been times raising each of our kids that weren't easy and times I've not done parenting very well. Yet in spite of me, all of our kids have turned out to be amazing and wonderful young adults. Growing up was hard for me, as my own family had several skeletons in their closet that made our day-to-day -day life codependent and unpredictable and chaotic. And no, it wasn't my parents' fault, as they both grew up with significant struggles and adversities, which contributed to who they became as parents. You know, it's interesting when you understand someone's story, even if it's your parents' story, you start to have some grace, realizing that their faults, at least in part, were a product of their own childhoods. And I loved my parents. They both had wonderful, 
qualities, and I still cherish the memories of them today. But sometimes parents aren't taught or given the tools to be the kinds of parents their own kids need. My family of origin struggled with chemical dependency, marital discord, severe mental illness, at times violence, and the eventual suicide of my mom. My family looked really good to the outside world, but what happened inside our home was toxic and left life, life long-term scars for me and my siblings. Nobody knew the pain or the dysfunction that we were going through other than immediate family members. It was a big secret, and sadly, nobody really helped us. As a teenager, I was thankfully encouraged by my family physician to join Alateen, an AA-associated group for teenagers growing up in alcoholic families. And as a young adult, I found a counselor who assisted me in healthy boundary setting and helped me learn the tools I would eventually need to reconcile and restore my relationship with my father. So I can confidently tell you it's okay to go to counseling and it's okay for your child to go. At the age of 14, I experienced what some would call a watershed moment. Another difficult evening at home, I was so angry and distraught. Before I got into bed, I looked in the mirror above my dresser and I said out loud, Tim, you don't have to live this way when you grow up. Honestly, I don't know where the words came from. I felt an unusual peace that night and an unfamiliar sense of hope, almost like I would be shown a new direction for my life, but I had no idea how it would all play out or who would help me learn. Well, the next 10 years for me were pivotal, for two men entered into my life and mentored me, one unknowingly and one knowingly, through the way they lived and the way they interacted with me and others, and they changed my life. The first was my high school choir director, Robert Mix. He taught me how to be a loving husband and father through how he and his wife interacted with each other, and I watched them closely. I also watched him treat his students in the choirs like his own kids, with respect and love, setting high expectations, both musical excellence and in relationships. Honestly, Robert Mix was like a surrogate dad to me during high school. And he loved all of his kids in the choirs, but he made me feel set apart and chosen. The second was my family physician, Dr. James Hartley, who taught me to be a compassionate and, compa compassionate and caring physician. He mentored me through high school, through college, and was an integral part of me getting into medical school. So despite living in a home situation that was difficult, and personally experienced much anxiety and depression. God provided who and what I needed when I needed them, and I survived. I hope this part of my story gives you hope. Well, we've taxied to the end of the runway. It's time to take off. The mental health of children and adolescents in our country has become a significant concern. It's on everybody's radar, as well it should be. More youth today are being diagnosed with anxiety and depression and other mood disorders than ever before, and prescriptions for antidepressants in 5 to 12-year-olds is at an all-time high, up 40% in the last eight years alone. What is going on? Well, I think at least there's three 
significant societal and educational shifts that explain what we're seeing. The first, we are willing to talk about mental illness. Second, we're better equipped to recognize mental illness. And we're starting to understand the consequences of mental illness in children. First, mental illness has become much less of a taboo topic in the last 20 years, and I think that's a good thing. Historically, mental illnesses in children and even adults, they weren't talked about. They were kept secret, and that was wrong. And now these issues are out on the table. And just having Westwood speak so intently to this issue of mental health reveals your deepest desire to be a church that heals, a church that's an active participant in compassionate care. Second is the education about childhood mental health has vastly improved for teachers and for parents and for healthcare providers and others who interact with kids. And this is a good thing. For people working with youth, knowing the signs and symptoms of depression or anxiety can help get a child evaluated sooner than they might have in the past. We should also acknowledge that anxiety and depression have at least in teenagers, some aspect of a contagion effect. In other words, there's a tendency for teens to conform to peers on many fronts, and depression and anxiety are not exceptions. I mention this not to minimize the issue that we see, but to remember that when we evaluate kids and adolescents, it's important to dissect the nuances of the ways they think. And then last, we're now under, uh, understanding the consequences through research about ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. If you haven't heard of ACEs, let me take a few minutes to get you on board. Briefly, ACEs uh, research was done in the late 1990s on over 17,000 adults, taking into account 10 adverse childhood stresses or experiences that they might have experienced in the first 18 years of life. These ACEs include a separation or divorce of parents, an immediate family member with chemical dependency, an immediate family member with severe mental illness or suicide, an immediate family member who's been incarcerated, witnessing intimate partner violence, and then three forms of abuse, physical, emotional, or sexual, and two forms of neglect, emotional or physical. By adding up your score, 0 to 10, you will be able to start predicting the likelihood of developing a variety of physical and mental health conditions as an adult. In fact, an A score of 4 or more is the most important predictor of adult health, above family history and above genetics. Cancer, heart disease, chronic lung disease, diabetes, autoimmune disease, obesity, depression, suicide, addiction, and there are more. All of these are exponentially more likely to happen in your future as an adult if your ACE score is four or more. And the saddest part about ACEs, 50% of all ACE experiences happen before age three. Bottom line is the stress we experience in our childhoods, especially if toxic and unattended, will define our adult health. But the good news is ACE experiences are buffered by compassionate and caring adults in a child's life who are predictable. The CDC published in 2021 the Youth Risk Behavior Survey showing some concerning trends. 
in that national survey, 42% of high school students experienced persistent sadness or loneliness. And this was particularly true of adolescent females in whom 57% were persistently sad or lonely. Compared to 10 years earlier, there was a 38% increase in students seriously considering suicide and a 25% increase in suicide attempts. After accidental deaths, in fact, the leading cause of death in 15 to 25-year-olds in our country is suicide. And suicide is now the third most leading cause of death in 10 to 14-year-olds. The causes of depression and anxiety in children include hereditary predisposition, physical disorders, and difficult life experiences. One or more difficult life experience is the most common cause that brings a depressive or anxious episode to a teen or child. And these could include any of the ACEs I discussed, but also include things like chronic bullying, social exclusion, or over-comparing yourself, such as with excessive social media use, and there are many others. In addition, current cultural changes are exposing children and teens to issues that they may not be ready for developmentally or emotionally. The divisiveness and hostility associated with different sides of many issues has created a sense that the world isn't safe, it isn't stable, or isn't nice. To boot, the last three and a half years haven't helped either. So it's worth taking a few moments to consider how COVID escalated our problem. The pandemic created a perfect storm for two things to happen, loneliness and learned helplessness. School and societal lockdowns and the effects of the resulting social isolation on children is just now beginning to be understood. But I will tell you that past research on social isolation shows devastating consequences. People who have been socially isolated have more adverse consequences to their mental and physical health than being repeatedly beaten, being starved, or being severely sleep deprived. Social isolation is twice as harmful to our bodies than obesity and doubles the risk of death by 84 to 100% per year. In children and adolescents, research has shown a strong association between social isolation and its resulting loneliness with anxiety and depression and impaired cognitive function. And as our pandemic slogged on, teens markedly increased their time on social media platforms trying to stay connected or just filling time. And the problem was, as we already knew before COVID, that teens who spend more time on social media tend to be teens with higher rates of clinical depression. Learned helplessness has also become a reality for many during COVID. Learned helplessness is a term based on psychological research on dogs in electrified cages who have lost the ability to reliably turn off their shocks. And even though this type of research sounds sad and probably today would be considered unethical, it revealed something that is not only true of dogs in electric cages, but true of people in pandemics. Learned, hap learned helplessness happens when someone loses the belief that it is in their capacity to positively affect their own life. The consequence of learned helplessness includes passivity, lack of effort, low motivation, 
frustration, loss of hope, and a feeling, in, a feeling of being incapable of making a positive difference. It's not surprising that many during the pandemic gave up on life and lost hope. And as researcher, researchers are finding out, both COVID-related loneliness and learned helplessness played a significant role in the uptick of what we see today in children. So what are the signs and symptoms of anxiety and depression in kids and teens? Let's look at anxiety first. There are several types of anxiety in children, including generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and social anxiety. Anxiety may prevent or present as fear, nervousness, or constant worry, but can also make children irritable or angry. Anxiety symptoms can also cause trouble sleeping as well as physical symptoms like fatigue and headaches and stomach aches. Difficulty concentrating or having negative thoughts is common. So kids and teens with anxiety feel like they, list, they exist in turmoil and uncertainty. And even though there can be some overlap with anxiety, symptoms of depression tend to look a little different. Having persistent feelings of sadness, being tearful for no apparent reason, irritability, changes in appetite, sleeping more than usual or less than usual, spending less time with friends, and most importantly, not enjoying the things they used to enjoy. So kids and teens with depression exist in sadness and hopelessness. You know, a hallmark of anxiety or depression is that a person always has at least one cognitive distortion that keeps their thinking in a loop. Cognitive distortions, and there are at least 12, are exaggerated or irrational thought patterns that cause individuals to perceive reality inaccurately. For example, kids with anxiety frequently catastrophize, blowing things way out of proportion. Or they fortune tell. They arbitrarily predict things that will turn out badly. Whereas kids with depression tend to have cognitive distortions like mind reading, assuming people are reacting negatively towards them when there's no evidence of it, or labeling, where they over-identify with their shortcomings. So instead of saying, I made a mistake, they say, I am a loser. Anxiety and depression cause a child to focus inwardly, but not in healthy ways. One of the things I used to prescribe for my pediatric and anxiety and depression patients was this. Do one kind thing for one other person one time every day. I would actually write this out on a prescription pad. I know it sounds corny, but it worked. I'd hand it to them and tell them that they had some homework to do. And then I would instruct them to keep a log, just jot down a few notes about each event, how it made them feel, and how it made the other person feel. And you know, it really was amazing. I remember a 14-year-old girl who came with her mother to my clinic for depression. She had experienced a real rough patch of circumstances. Her parents had recently separated. Her older brother was addicted to drugs, and her longtime best friend had recently moved away out of state. She was pretty down in the dumps and was focused on how bad her life had become and that it probably was never going to get better. So first I told her that she had valid reasons to feel sad. She had experienced significant losses, and I told her if she weren't sad, that would not be normal. And second, I suggested she start some individual counseling to 
Help put her losses into perspective now and in the future. And then I handed her my prescription pad with instructions to return in three weeks. Well, when I walked in the room three weeks later, her mom was crying and my patient was laughing. Her demeanor was opposite of three weeks earlier. Not quite knowing whether this meant things were good or bad, I asked her for an update, to which my patient whipped out a journal, opened it to the beginning and said, Dr. J, let me tell you about helping others. She went on to tell me about the one nice thing she had done each day for other people, for family members, for friends, for neighbors, and even a complete stranger. I asked her if she had been appreciated by any of her kindness victims and how that made her feel. And then she started to cry too. Her mother looked at me and said, I'm beginning to see my daughter coming back, Dr. Johansson. You know, kindness changes people, both the giver and the receiver. Research during COVID revealed that children were encouraged to practice kindness regularly. They were more empathetic and resilient. Being kind boosts our serotonin and dopamine levels in our brains, which result in feelings of satisfaction and well-being and cause our pleasure and reward centers to light up. It lowers stress hormone levels, lowers our blood pressure, increases our mood, and increases our sense of connectivity. Being kind to one another increases oxytocin, a hormone that promotes inner sense of bonding. As Joel said in the first message of this series, we are created for connection, but we drift toward isolation. And the act of kindness appears to tilt the scales back towards connection. There seems to be a reason that kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. You know, I believe God meticulously designed our brains and our bodies to be kind to one another, not only for the other's benefit, but for our own. In David Brooks' book, How to Know a Person, he suggests this, just show a little humanity and see where it goes. All around us, people are invisible, misunderstood, and alone. Being kind, more understanding, and considerate towards others, you end up finding the joy that comes from being seen. My young patient had been seen, and by being kind, she was changed and went on to recover well with the help of a very good therapist and the support of her parents, who, by the way, did up ending up in divorce. As we start our final descent, I would like to suggest a top 10 list of parenting do's. These are practical things you can do in the midst of a child who's experiencing mental illness. And my desire is that these things will give you some hope. Number 10, teach kids that life is hard. Why? Because life is hard. In John 16:33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you would have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So trouble is an inevitable part of living in our fallen world. It just is. So parents, your kids need to learn that life is hard and be allowed to experience life's difficulties in order to practice the coping skills they will need to thrive in adulthood. 
Without those skills, your kid will be higher risk for developing anxiety or depression. Number nine, always express hope in your child, even when your tank is low. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God tells us this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Parents, tell this truth to your kids, reminding them of their futures. Let them know that there's going to be seasons where they're down like they are now, and there will be seasons where they won't feel harmed or defective or crushed. Number eight, be the emotional container for your child, not vice versa. Proverbs 18.13 says, the answer to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. So listen to your kids. Hear what they are saying and validate what you've heard so they know you understand. Not that you necessarily agree with them, but that you understand. Parents will ask me if it's okay to tell their child when they're feeling sad or tired or lonely. Absolutely. Just don't expect your child to be the person to help you process your emotions. That's not their job. Number seven, strive to be a compassionate and predictable, caring adult in their life so that they will have a safe and stable person to return to. Herein lies one of the cures for ACEs. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The stability that comes with a parent who is appropriately compassionate and predictable will go a long way in a child's recovery and restoration to thrive in life. Number six, stay in the game. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Parents, remain engaged with your son and daughter in their struggles. Don't give up on them. Don't reject them. This race may be long. It might even be a marathon. And you need to be willing to be in it for the long haul. Number five, be the parent. In other words, be the person in your child's life who sets boundaries, the person in your child's life who sets expectations, and the person in your child's life who cheers them on relentlessly. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up your child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. You know, sometimes training up a child is difficult. But remember that being a parent means you will need to sacrifice the desires about how your child views you for what they need now to help them grow. Number four, have your child spend time in nature, preferably every day. In fact, go with them. In Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. I think there are a few things better for our souls than marveling at the creation of God, smelling the fresh air, sensing the raindrops, walking barefoot in the grass, or suffering the sting of 20 below without wind chill. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it. Give your kids the blessing of nature and exercise. Number three, be prepared to seek professional help for your child. This can usually be accomplished through your pediatrician or your primary care provider. And also be willing to find help for yourself 
I know of so many parents who have benefited from talking with a therapist when their child was struggling. And number two, enlist mentors to come along on your child's journey. In Proverbs 13.20, we are told, walk with the wise and become wise. Bring other trusted adults into your child's life, as many as you can, and watch the benefits unfold. When our son married two years ago, I wrote to several of the men who had been mentors to him growing up. He had many, coaches, friends, dads, neighbors, teachers. And my wife and I were so grateful for them and the roles that they each played in our son's life and development. So I asked each of them to send what made mentoring our son special to them and then compiled a collection of these wonderful and meaningful narratives. And I read it at his groom's dinner. Not a dry eye in the place. And then finally, number one, pray constantly. Intercede passionately on their behalf. Philippians 4, 6 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. For my wife and me, sometimes it felt like praying was the only thing we could do, having exhausted all our human parenting strategies. So pray your children over to God, trusting in his care for them, his love for them, and his future for them. Well, our plane is about to land, and I want to return to Romans 15, 13 as we conclude. For me, there are three things this verse says to my soul, my parenting soul. First is, our God is a God of hope. He is not a God of playing games or manipulation or inflicting pain. His deepest desire is to fill us with joy and peace and hope. Second is trust. We can trust in him. Trust doesn't mean we don't have a role in parenting because we do. Yet it is God. It's important to remember it was God who created our children and placed them in our lives for a reason. And he knows their journeys more than we do, just as he knows our journeys. Finally, we've been given access to power, his power to triumph over trials. The God of creation, think of this, the God of creation has given us access to his wisdom, to his discernment and his overflowing hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So to conclude, let us all read together out loud Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. I just feel like I wish I was 12 and you'd be my pediatrician. <laughs> Anybody's blood pressure go down with that? <laughs> I just feel calm, like all is well. I mean, thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, your friendship means the world to Westwood to carry into me with Susan and you. It's just terrific to have you come and share what God has given you in your life journey. Little did you know as a child yeah. how God would redirect your whole path. True. That's the hope that comes from the living Christ. And we celebrate that together. And I really love this elevated focus on kindness because there's a mystery to kindness. The scriptures tell us that kindness 
leads to repentance. That's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. It increases an awareness of self and awareness of God. What a beautiful gift it is that kindness can be so transformational in our lives. Can I just say, be kind. It'll benefit others, but it'll benefit you. What a great reminder that is. I'm going to invite Tim. You're going to make your way over to the resource table. And if you'd like to stop there, if you're on the Chan Hansen campus, please stop at the table and you can pick up his book as well as have a conversation with him if you would so please. I'm going to invite the prayer team to make their way forward as well. The prayer team is available to you. So if you'd like to come after the service and receive a word of encouragement and prayer, please take advantage of that. Just the... Um, act of coming down and putting words to your thoughts and your feelings can bring lift and hope and a healing touch. So grateful for our prayer team that are available after every service, every week. We want to be there for you. And then also just a reminder that Tim's book, Just the, the Essence of Raising Life-Ready Kids, is available at that resource table. You might like to pick it up. But then as well, take advantage of the seminar tomorrow night. The parenting seminar will take place. You can go online to find out that information and come. Hey, make it a date night because they got kid care for that one. So please do it. And then next Saturday morning, we have the summit, part of our mental health series. We've got five excellent communicators to bring help and hope to our whole church family. You know, make it a priority. Pars out the time to take care of your own health. Come, let's be learners together in the name of the Lord. And as we do, could I invite you to stand and receive this blessing? How good to be together, isn't it? And just the promise of the Lord that he's with us and for us, that he wants to set us free. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you that beautiful gift of shalom, peace. The peace that passes all understanding is in his mighty right hand. So go with that blessing. We'll see you again next week. Take advantage of all the resources available this week and uh, enjoy your day. Be blessed as you go.